Well, let's turn to Acts chapter 8 today. We're working through a little series this month on the gospel and what we are receiving in the gospel and what it is we are to proclaim in the gospel. And we're just identifying people in Acts 8, 9, and 10 over the next couple of weeks beyond today where God's gospel is transforming people. And it's not just the transform that I want to point to, but the people that God involves in bringing about the transformation. And so I want you to see that today in Acts chapter 8. We'll begin in verse 26 and just read, and then we'll, uh, we'll just talk a little bit about three aspects that just really stand out to me. Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. Well, wouldn't it be great if, if you and I had a summary of our life, God had spoken, and you and I rise and go. Just that quick response in obedience. I want that to be said of me one day in the future, that that, uh, that guy heard God's instruction and he obeyed quickly. I want that said of each of us. Uh, this deserted place he rose and went and there was an Ethiopian a eunuch a court official of Candace queen of the Ethiopians Candace by the way is not her name that's a title of the queen of Egypt it's a designated title that is given uh, so she is the queen of the Ethiopians and he was put in charge of all of her treasure he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah and the spirit said to Philip go over and join this chariot so Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked do you understand what you're reading and he said how can I how can I unless someone guides me and he invited Philip to come up and sit with him now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer, he is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? When Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Let's stop there and pray. Father, by your spirit, teach us, I pray. And with your grace, work in our heart, work in our minds that we might receive your truth and be empowered to respond appropriately. I pray for anyone who's in this room or those who are watching the streaming service or listening on the radio or later on our app. God, I pray that if there's someone who has yet to put faith in Jesus, that they would deny themselves and trust in him for their salvation. And I pray for all of us who have been saved that we will become the messengers, the evangelists like Philip. 
and that that would bring glory to Jesus and goodness of his gospel to many others. And we pray it in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Now you first read about Philip a couple of chapters before in Acts 6. He is selected among seven of the church at Jerusalem to be a deacon in that church. If you remember, there was some qualifications that were given originally uh, for deacons, and those qualifications still hold, and there's some others that have been given by the Apostle Paul. But it basically is, you need to be a, a man of good repute, you need to be full of wisdom, and you need to be full of the Holy Spirit. And it said of Philip and others who were chosen that those men had all those aspects. Now, Luke also mentions that Stephen is one of those seven who has been chosen as deacon. He's assigned to, church, to serve the church, specifically those unsupported widows, those widows who have no family to care for them and provide for them. The church is, is required by God to do that and so Stephen and Philip and others were those men who were called to help those unsupported widows to make sure that the distribution of compassion and benevolence was given in a rate that would be beneficial for everybody. There wouldn't be any bias, no prejudice. It would be just a genuine love and compassion of the church that's distributed by these men. And chapter 7 highlights the, the ministry of Stephen. If you remember, Stephen is a martyr there in Jerusalem and and uh, it speaks of that in chapter 7. If you've got some time this afternoon when you're watching the fire in the fireplace and you're nestled on the couch with a blankie <laughs> and you want to read something, go to chapter 7 of Acts. It's an amazing read uh, to see what God is doing there in the life of a man who's soon to be martyred at the end of that chapter. Then chapter 8 is the narrative of Philip. Luke is taking two of those seven and just kind of lifting them up for us to see them and both of them have great proclamations of the gospel. Both of them are certainly committed to make sure that others are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, if you remember, the Jerusalem church is suffering significant hardships. There is dissension from within. The congregation is somewhat embattled with divisions, specifically among those widows. And there is great intense persecution from the outside. Before Paul was converted to Christ, he was sort of spurring along this great persecution, as well as others, against the church. And literally, people were being taken out of synagogues, and they were beaten uh, with rods and expelled, never to come back. And uh, many of them were imprisoned. Some, like Stephen, were killed. And so uh, there's great hardship that is that is going on in the church there in Jerusalem. And Stephen, of course, loses his life, and Philip is among the many who are literally chased out of town. Uh, if they stayed in Jerusalem, they are going to die. And so they're chased out of town, but God always uses hardship in life. God always uses every aspect of our life for his glory and for our good. And that is going to be evident in Stephen's life. He's chased out of town, and he heads off north. It's, in the scripture, it talks about going down to Samaria, but it's a proximity, it's, it's a, a height, an elevation. Uh, Jerusalem, you know, is at the, the highest place, and he's, he's going down to the north to Samaria. And, of course, that is a, a rough area especially if you're from Israel and you're Jewish. 
so, so here's here's what I want you to see Stephen is hated and he's chased out of town and he ends up in Samaria the land of the hated because that region was filled with Samarians and Samarians were hated by and large by all the Jewish people and that went on for many many years in fact if you know your history Assyria had come in and invaded Israel and when they did so they brought uh, colonialists for Syria there into that region and they settled there in the northern section of the kingdom and many of the people the Jewish people there intermarried with the Assyrians who had uh, set up a colony there in Israel and that that um, identified them as sort of half-breeds it's uh, mongrels as they were called and man can I tell you they were rejected and they were despised so here you have a guy who's called of God who's an evangelist one who loves the Lord deeply who is significantly impacted by the persecution that is coming against him and others in Jerusalem and he flees because of the hatred and he goes to the place where people have been hated for 700 years and God has purpose for that and God's purpose is that he wants them to come to faith in Jesus Christ God wants them to be gloriously saved there's a whole bunch of people that could care less about them but God cares for them and so Stephen is finding himself in that place and he is taking up refuge there, if you want to call it that, in the place where so many people are despised. But yet he's doing so because it's great love for God and great love for people. So he proclaims Christ to them. In fact, if you pick back up in, in Acts chapter 8, uh, the, the fifth chapter ends with, he is making his proclamation of Christ. Now look at the response in chapter 8, verse 6 through 8. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many of them who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. So there has been much hatred much uh, pain and suffering but now the gospel is bringing much joy people are understanding life and what life can be like with Jesus Christ and the newness that he affords and the spirit of God that dwells within them and the joy that Jesus gives and the peace even in the midst of conflict all of that is brought about so the people have much joy when they come to faith in Christ after hearing the message of the gospel so I just want to remind you that Philip is not one of the 12 apostles. Philip is not even a pastor of the church there in Jerusalem. Philip is a layman who is of good repute, who has been given wisdom by God, and who is filled with the Holy Spirit. Now the reason why I slow down and emphasize that is because God is calling all of us to active and engaged ministry he wants all of us to be full of the wisdom and he has made that possible by giving us the mind of Christ. He wants all of us to be filled with the spirit that is emptied of self and self-will and self-direction and self this and that and be full controlled by the Holy Spirit. And in doing so, he calls us all to great mission. 
and to great ministry and a great evangelistic work of his gospel, whether you're a pastor or a deacon or, or someone else, all of us are called to that ministry. You're called to that when you receive the gospel yourself. So Philip was a man who had been transformed by God. And that's clearly evident in that the Spirit had given him life. And the Spirit was indwelling him. And the Spirit had given him significance for life. Not just moving through life with the routines of the culture, culture, but significant life the Spirit had given him so that he could actually engage people in eternal ministry. And so it is for all of us. Though he battled hardship and persecution, he remained faithful to the Lord who rescued him from sin, death, and judgment and gave him this significant impacting life. So like many of us, Philip was a man of promise and purpose. If you are anything in Christ Jesus, you are a person of promise and purpose. Philip had that, and so do you and me. Philip was willing to share the gospel with the Samaritan crowd, and he enthusiastically did so, taking on the assignment of leaving Jerusalem and moving into Samaria to travel there and to find great success there, the gospel. But then he was also willing to take on the assignment to go down south of Jerusalem towards Gaza. Hey, much of the news that you hear that's negative in Israel comes out of that region that I'm talking about. He goes out of through Jerusalem, down south towards Gaza, and it's there that the Spirit of God has said, you need to single out this one person. Now think about it. Here's a guy who has great success among the masses in Samaria. Great people are coming to faith. Great numbers of people are now experiencing freedom from the demonic oppressed and possessed. And great freedom is given to those who are lame and sick. And all of that is happening. But yet the Spirit of God says to Philip, now I want you to leave there. And I want you to go in the height of this revival. There is one man, a foreigner, who is leaving now. And he's down in Gaza on a desert road. I want you to go there. And Philip was very agreeable to that. That's the kind of heart I want. That's the kind of heart I want. God, if you'll use me among the masses, let me be among the masses. If you'll use me among the individual, let me be where the individual is. Let me be responsive and obedient to you. That's where I want us to be in this end of this month. I want us to be in that place where we're doing whatever the Spirit of God has led us to do. Now, in this case, he's leading Philip to go to a foreigner to minister there. He's been ministering with power and authority and there's great joy in the cities around there in Samaria, but now he's singling out to go to one individual. And coming along that Ethiopian's chariot, Philip hears him reading Isaiah 55, now uh, 53. If there's a chapter in the Old Testament that I would turn to that proclaimed the gospel, it would be Isaiah 53. I mean, is that not the nucleus of the gospel right there in the Old Testament? Sure it is. And so it just happens, it's coincidental, right, that Philip finds himself alongside that chariot at the exact moment this guy is reading the 53rd chapter of Isaiah at the point where he's hearing the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. Listen, there's no happening there. There's no coincidences there. The Spirit of God is moving. By the way, those of us who have the Spirit of God, listen to me clearly, there are no 
coincidences. The Spirit of God is very much in control. There is a plan that's very much unfolding. There is ministry that is already happening. And the Spirit of God is moving us to join Him in that. To join right alongside what He's doing. Ah, you and I could come with all the buts, this and that in our lives. No, no, no. God's Spirit is already moving. And He's inviting you to join Him. God's power is in His Word. And He's entrusted it to you and me. All we have to do is communicate it. Just share it. The power is in that Word. Give God opportunity to use you in that way. So Philip comes alongside at this moment. He's going to ask a, a question. Do you understand what you're reading? Uh, that's a pretty good start to have go gospel conversation. Hey, do you understand what's going on here? Have you thought about what's going on? And just join them in conversation because it was clear that this man was needing some assistance. And he was quick to offer that, inviting Philip to come join him and just talk about this this scripture with him and of course Philip is going to take the opportunity to share the faith that is ours in Jesus Christ so Philip had a good understanding of the Bible he had a good understanding about its revelation and what it was moving towards which is Jesus Christ who lived righteously but died the substitutionary death on the cross of Christ Jesus now, we don't know Philip's exact words. He doesn't lay that out for us, but he took time to explain the gospel. He started in Isaiah 53, excuse me, and he moved on through the rest of that text and on through the Old Testament to the point that he could de describe what Jesus had accomplished there in life and in his death and his burial and his resurrection and his ascension. He just unfolds that. Now, without any doubt, Philip did not use an acrostic, C-R-O-S-S. -S. He's just talking out of the, his experience of what he knows about Christ. But you and I can use an acrostic like C-R-O-S-S, -S, and we can use that in a way just to help us to make sure we're getting all the points that we want to get across about the gospel of Christ. It's on the front cover of your handout today. Uh, I was driving the other day to Albertville, and I pulled out my app, and click the app there at the top, C-R-O-S-S -S is on the top of our Meadowbrook app. And just made sure that I could go through that without any trouble because I knew in the place I was going, I was going to have lots of opportunity for conversation. And my prayer was, Lord, not only am I going to share with that individual, but I want everybody around me to hear what I'm about to share. So help me lock into this. So I, I want us to do the same thing. The, these few weeks through this month, I want us to have these five points, five words in our memory banks and these five verses just so that we can communicate clearly the gospel. You, you might be saying, well, I don't know what I would share if I had opportunity to share. You're going to share C-R-O-S-S. -S. It's pretty simple. Right now, people are talking about a whole lot of brokenness, aren't they? I mean, the brokenness right now is COVID-19 and all of its variants. You can use that because everybody's, I don't go anywhere where that is not part of the conversation. So everybody's talking about that kind of brokenness. The, the way we step into that conversation for the gospel is we, you recognize that this is part of the condition of this fallen world, which came about because of sin. 
this brokenness, this, this disease, this infection is because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's a consequence of life different than God originally designed in creation it to be where we rebelled against God and because of that we have fallen short of God's glory, God's perfect creation. But the good news is that God has sent us a rescuer and his name is Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his son that we who would believe wouldn't have to perish, right? Wouldn't have to die, but we could have eternal life in him. You see, there's a brokenness in this world, but God has sent his rescuer and his name is Jesus. And Jesus has overcome. He's overcome all the brokenness of the world. In fact, he was showing himself victorious to all of us in his death, burial, and in his resurrection. In fact, we're certain that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he was buried and raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. In other words, it was God's plan all along and he unfolded that throughout the scripture that this is what would be the way God would overcome this for us and share that victory with us. So Jesus shares his death, Jesus shares his burial, he shares his resurrection with us, making it that when we have faith in him, we too can overcome and we can be saved in that. When our faith is given in Jesus Christ, we can be saved. For if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, confess that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is the way we overcome with Christ, by faith, where God gives us salvation. And then we are set apart, not just for life for eternity, but for life today. That God sets us apart so that we can live differently today. The old passes away, the new has come to us. In fact, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. And why? In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now, would you trust in Jesus? Would you yield your life to him? Would you Receive him as the rescuer, the one who has overcome, the one who saves, the one who sets apart. Would you be willing to do that? Forsake all others. Forsake all the will, uh, will and way of your life and just trust Jesus. Surrender your life to him. And when we share those kind of things, people come to faith. You say, well, not all the time. Well, I've never seen anybody come to faith without somebody sharing with them. So we just share our faith, the faith that God has given us insight to, trusting that God will provide the harvest as he wills, where everything belongs to him and it's all for his glory. Now listen, any one of us can do that at any time if we've made it part of our heart, made it part of our thoughts, and asked God to help us with that. Work through the outline or use another outline. Work through the memory or use other verses to memorize and be able to share. I can tell you, Philip probably didn't use C-R-O-S-S, -S, but he used along the same line. There's a condition of brokenness. Only Christ can rescue and bring salvation. And if you'll put your faith in him, 
die to self, be resurrected new, then he'll give you new life. What would stop me from being baptized right now? Nothing. I would encourage you and me to have our head right there in the gospel because our heart is being transformed by it. All right, so here's sort of a summary that I want you to have in this. Be conditioned in your heart and mind to be God's messenger. So you've got to be willing to be conditioned in your heart and mind to be God's messenger. What am I meaning by that? In my mind, I want to know the gospel clearly. I want to be able to know it to the way I can communicate it. I want it in my mind, but it's not just about my mind, is it? I want it in my heart. I want it to be the essence of my life. So I would encourage us to be conditioned in that way. Have it in our mind and have it in our heart. And can I just say that if you're a little bit iffy on that, then you need to pause and ask the Spirit of God to help you there. If you don't understand fully the gospel, ask him to help you. If your heart is not given to the things of the gospel, ask him to help you that you might have that faith in him and have the knowledge that comes from his word. So seeing that we were once separated from him and now recognizing we were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants and the promises of God, having no hope without him in the world we're now united in God in Christ Jesus. So we proclaim to others, come to Christ. Come to Christ because we know what that's like. We know what it's like to be in our sin. So if you're somewhat muddled on this, a little bit fuzzy about this, then I plead with you, ask the Holy Spirit to give you direction and to give you insight. Now it's possible that you have not fully given yourself to the gospel, especially if you don't understand it. It's possible that your heart has not been transformed. Oh, you might have been coming to church and might be going through the things of the movement of Christianity, but you're not given in heart and mind. Then I would invite you today to do that. Humble yourself and come to genuine faith in Jesus Christ, and you'll see the difference. So have you clearly understood God's offering of grace, God's offering of salvation. Grace, because it has to be a gift, because you and I do nothing to deserve it. Have you clearly understood that? And if you had, will you view other people in that same way? They, they've done nothing to deserve God's grace, but yet he is generous in his grace and in his salvation. So I pray God would condition our hearts and our minds to be messengers and know the gospel fully. Now, another aspect that really encourages me in Acts chapter 8 is that God is actively engaged in all the details. Now, we are not often privy to the Holy Spirit's work. But every now and then, he gives us insight to what he's doing. And in this case, he's giving insight to Philip in a very unique way, giving him real perspective on what he's doing. So he's fled Jerusalem, he goes first to Samaria, and there the Spirit's movement is obvious because the gospel is making great impact, and there's great power that's being affected in ministry by Philip, by the Spirit, who is just using Philip in this process. So there's great work there. But in Acts 28, 26, the angel instructs Philip to leave Samaria and go south on that road from Jerusalem to Gaza, and so Philip just gets up and he goes. I, I like the response there. 
he doesn't have to know the details he just said I want you to get up and go to that road so he's like okay I'll I'll head that way I, I want to be that way and I want us to be that way and then in verse 29 the spirit told Philip now I want you to go over to that chariot uh, by the way Philip's name actually means he's a horse lover I don't know his mom and daddy knew that uh, when he was eight days old but that's uh, that's the case so he's in tune to this horse-drawn chariot and the spirit of God gives him the understanding it's that one that I want you to go to and he makes his way over there and of course while he is coming alongside he hears Isaiah's prophecy being read by an Ethiopian I just want us to marvel in the moment at the great miracle of of the entirety of Isaiah this is where Philip runs alongside the chariot this is what he hears like a sheep he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shearer is silent so he opens not his mouth in his humiliation justice was denied him who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from him now the point is God is always at work God is at work in the details he is always moving about us and around us his will is always being exercised and his spirit will use any means necessary to accomplish God's will he will use us fumbling bumbling sinful not very given in faith kind of people he'll use us in this process and he will give us instruction Philip was understanding and he was open to God's movement around him so he responded obediently and he became the messenger in that moment as God instructed him leave that crowd and go down to this one individual and when he sensed the spirit's guidance he took off running so I would say to us a challenge would be this be ready for God's movement in you and around you just be ready when you wake up in the morning God where are you at work in my life and where are you at work around me help me to be insightful to that that was Philip he truly believed that God would lead him that God's spirit would guide him that God would give him instruction did you wake up this morning believing that God would give you instruction? What about on Tuesday morning? On Tuesday morning, when it's bitterly cold outside, which it will be for the majority of this week, will you wake up with an understanding that God is already at work and he will be very specific in his direction to you, that he will guide you? Are you anticipating that? Because if you're not anticipating it, you are not in tune to it. But if you think that God still speaks in that way, that God still directs, that God still guides, that God still leads, you'll be more in tune to it. So how about we rise up and say, yes, Lord. I'm anticipating your direction today. Yes, Lord. I'm anticipating your guidance, your movement in me and around me, and I am agreeable to that. Yes, Lord. As you obey Jesus' commission, living for gospel impact, trust that God is already working in you and around you through your conscience the Holy Spirit will direct you and he will guide you and you will 
need to be able to learn to be sensitive to that inner voice when he speaks. God still reveals direction and guidance. At times, he may use dreams and visions, the scripture says. And sometimes, though it's rare, he may even use an angel like he did in, in Philip's account. You say, whoa, 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 Randy, uh, that sounds a little odd. Well, Hebrews 11 says that God uses angels to those who are inheriting salvation. Okay, I don't understand all that that means, but I take God for his word. And if he wants to use an angel in my life, he wants to use the Holy Spirit speaking in my conscience, he wants to use the word of God, he wants to give me an insightfulness to somebody that ought to be speaking to, then I'm open to that. How about you? Philip certainly was. But you and I need to be warned that we can get kind of wonky when it comes to hearing God's voice. We can get real wonky when we talk about well, I believe God's saying this to me, and I believe God is guiding me in that. And the scripture gives us insight to that wonkiness. That will be the, day, the word of the day, won't it? John says, test the spirits and see whether they are of God. So John believes that God's spirit speaks to us, and God uses spirits, angels, to speak to us. But he says, when he does, you ought to be able to test them to see if it's genuinely of God because I've had people come to me and say you know what God said to me God said that I ought to divorce my wife and I said what would time out God did not say that to you the problem is you failed to test that spirit God is not going to renounce his own word God is not going to object to his own word God is not going to go against his own word he is going to be in sync parallel to his word at all times he is not going to change his mind and suddenly give you a new insight he's not going to do that the revelations are closed my friends we don't add anything to the word of God but God's spirit will direct us in his word and he will do it in in very unique ways sometimes mostly in our conscience and by his word but when he does we ought to be testing that message that messenger it's pretty clear the Bible gives us litmus tests for that. I'll just run through these very quickly. These are the one that came to my mind this past week as I was just being alert that I don't, I don't want any of us to go out there and turn into crazy folks. God has given us instruction about his spirit and how he speaks to us. First of all, the Holy Spirit always glorifies Christ. Always glorifies Christ. And the Spirit's work is to always lead people to Christ. So you know that it is not of God, the message is not of God if it's not glorifying to Christ and it's not leading people to Christ. If it's leading them away from Christ, man, you ought to run. You, you've, got a, you've got an angel that is cloaked in light, but it's full of darkness. Always glorifying Christ and always pointing people to Christ, faith in Christ. The spirits of God and the Spirit of God helps people to understand biblical truth. That's the role of the Holy Spirit, to remind us of the words of Christ, to engage us in the scriptures, the holy truth of God. The Spirit is always giving illumination to God's word. And the Spirit is convicting in sin and righteousness and judgment. He's not opening people to sin. He's doing the exact opposite. He's helping convict them in that proving the way of righteousness and pointing out the judgment of God that comes against the sinfulness of humankind. 
The Spirit of God is cultivating Christ-like character in us and brings comfort to us when we need it. And he's empowering people to serve Christ and his church. That's what the Spirit of God is doing. So if, if you're being moved in that way, you'll know that's of the Spirit. If you're moved in any other way, it's not of the Spirit. His ministry always yields the fruit of his work. And the fruit collectively is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And if what you're hearing claimed to be of God is moving in any way opposite of any of those nine aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, then you know you're being led astray by something that is claiming to be of God but is not of God. And the Spirit of God and the spirits always, always go right in step with God's Word. It is certain that the Spirit of God will never prod us to do anything that is contrary to the Scripture, contrary to the Bible. So be ready for God's movement in you, around you. Be ready for His guidance. And as you're doing so, test all the time to see if it's in sync with what you know the Holy Spirit's work to be. My friends, you can trust Jesus who commissions you to gospel ministry and his Spirit who is working in you and around you. You can trust Jesus. You can trust the Holy Spirit to bring about the purposes of God in your life. So if you're discounting your ability to communicate the gospel, you are discounting the wrong person. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about God, His Spirit, and His Word. Trust Him. Trust Jesus. Trust His Spirit. All you have to do is open your mouth because your heart and your mind are engaged on the gospel. Just open your mouth and let Him use His Word to bring about transformation. And finally, I wanted to mention that God was at work in the Ethiopian's life just as He's at work in countless lives of people Luke identifies this man as a eunuch he's a, an official of the Ethiopian queen uh, similar to a secretary treasurer if you will a eunuch if you have to know is one who has been emasculated uh, either intentionally or unintentionally could be just a, a commitment on his part to not engage in any sexual way but, but if he is emasculated, then it is against the law for him to be on the temple mount. It's against the law for him to be at the temple, and it's certainly not in the provision for him to be a Judaizer. He can't come into the religion of the Jewish people. God has already mandated that back in Deuteronomy. So here's a man who could not enter into the religion nor gain access to the temple but he is hungry to know God and hungry to know the Scripture. And you just have to ask yourself, why is that? Why is he going to travel 1,500 miles over rough terrain in a chariot without shock absorbers in the heat of the desert? Why is he going to do this to go to a place that he cannot enter to worship a God for which he cannot be part of the religion? Why is he doing that? And I'll tell you, it comes down to this simple conclusion. He's doing it because God has pursued him. God is always the initiator. 
God is always the initiator. Nobody comes to him. Nobody seeks him. And this is from the scripture. Nobody is righteous. No, not one. No one seeks after God. But God seeks after them. And when they come to a discovery that God is seeking them, that God is wooing them, I can tell you it will cause them to do things in order to know him more fully. That's God's grace. That's God's faith that's being poured out in their life. I think that's encouraging because Philip understood that. Philip understood that, that he's a man who loves God and he loves people. It doesn't matter to Philip if they're Jewish, if they're Gentile, if they're in the mix like a Samaritan. It didn't matter if they're white, black, brown, tan, olive. It makes no difference to him. He loves God and he loves people and he wants to connect God and people together at all times with the gospel. And so he's given to that. Oh, that you and I would have that kind of demonstration of unbiased love and abiding love of God. An unbiased love of people and an unabiding love of God. I just have to pause and just recognize as well that God could write his gospel message in the sky. But he doesn't. God could use the same angel that spoke to Philip and declare the gospel by that angel, but he won't. God only uses people who have come to discover by his grace his love, mercy, and salvation that is available in Christ. And when those people come to faith in Jesus, God alone will use them to be the spokespersons for his gospel. He won't use angels because angels have never experienced the grace of God. Oh, they watch us experience the grace of God, but they have never experienced it. He won't use nature in any way because nature is waiting for the redemption of mankind. It's groaning under the weight of our sin. He will only use people who have come to discover his mercy, love, and grace. And for those people, who have discovered that he will use them as his commissioned ones to communicate his gospel to others who are like we used to be that's why he'll use philip and that's why he'll use you and me so when you discount yourself as a gospel presenter because of your life and what you used to do or what you struggle with my friends you're the very people that god would choose to use people who know his grace who know his mercy and know his love don't let the enemy lie to you and say god wouldn't use you you are the one and could i go out a little further and say we are the only ones there's no plan b there's no other way but that we would take god's word around the world and make disciples in christ jesus so show your willingness to obey God by learning how to communicate the gospel. Have it in your mind. Have it in your heart. C-R-O-S-S. -S. With that simple acrostic, it'll help you just to walk through the gospel. And with those five passages, it'll help you to communicate God's great grace that's extended to people. And in communicating that, uh, you will see people be saved. 
So show your eagerness to God by praying in an indiscriminate way for people and then pray specifically for others. Lord, today, I want to know your movement and I want to be ready to share. I'm going to be prepared. I'm looking for who. I'm looking for who you might be working in so that I can communicate. Would you pray with me? Condition our hearts and minds to be your messengers, Father, I pray. We trust your Holy Spirit to move in us and around us, providing the words and the means and the people to share about Jesus. We thank you in advance for the opportunity to join you as you stir in others and spread your glorious message of Christ. To Christ be the glory. To people that they might know the goodness to us that we might grow in our mission. We bless you for all of that in Jesus' name. Amen.